0: To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weightloss. That's plushcare.com slash weightloss. This is the Mark Boris Podcast. Uh, good g'day. Well, this is round two. It's a bit like boxing. Boxing is one of my favorite sports. One of the things I love about boxing, actually, is that... Uh, you got three choices when you're in the ring, and I know because I've experienced this many times. In the ring, as also in observing it, um, you either cop a punch, you throw a punch, and you move to get out of the way of a punch. Um, so you know, often it happens that um, in business, you just got to cop it, and uh, and you just got to be there ready for the next round after that. Have a mindset. You're prepared to go the whole twelve rounds, no matter what happens. Sometimes you're going to get knocked out. Other times you're going to be victorious. It's, but it's not always going to go your way. And uh, I have to say, this morning I had a crap morning and a crap night's sleep. Couldn't find my fucking keys this morning to get my car out of the garage. Kept everybody waiting, and uh, that's sort of not a cool thing from my point of view. But uh, but here I am. So. This week's top five. So what's happened? Well, last time we spoke, I talked to you, I spoke to you about five things that are important for you to know and be updated for in relation to the Australian economy. Five things that affect how the Reserve Bank thinks. Five things that affect whether interest rates are going to go up and down. Five things which affect how the Treasurer is going to respond to whether he's going to increase the tax rates or not increase the tax rates. Five things that affect your business. Five things that affect your affect the business you work in as an employee. And those five things start as follows. First one is commodity prices. And I explained to you last time that commodity prices per se aren't that important. But in the context of this Australian economy, and how governments and reserve banks and everyone reacts to those prices, that's important. So commodity prices, where they go up and down, ordinarily aren't important. But what's going on with commodity prices? What's happened in the last, since the last time I spoke to you? Well, basically nothing. So commodity prices are still where they are, lower than they were a year ago, lower than they were two or three years ago, Um Therefore, they're affecting companies like BHP and Rio in terms of their employment policy. They're affecting companies like Rio and BHP and Fortescue in terms of the amount of money they're going to allocate to capital expenditure, which means basically commodity prices are driving the Australian economy down because we are a commodity economy. We rely on our growth through commodity prices growing. We rely on commodity prices to Influence how big organizations in this country invest more and more capital into the country, and that's just not happening. So, commodity prices are down, so nothing's changed since last week. The second thing I talked about was growth in Australia, Australia's GDP, gross domestic product, how we grow as an economy. Now, like you know, whether we grew at 3%, or 5%, or 25%, or whatever, or 1%. It's probably you probably think it doesn't make much difference to you. Well, it does because the Reserve Bank, the Australian government, when they get their uh, mass exam corrected every year by the Australian people and the global the global community, they like to say that they grow at a certain rate, and they like to show they're growing above three percent. And if they're not growing above three percent, guess what? They don't want to lose their jobs, just like you and I don't want to use, lose our jobs. So what they do is they do things, they pull levers in the economy to try and get to that growth number. Now, equally, if you're growing too fast, they try to pull the levers to uh, slow us down. So growth as a measurement in this country relative to the rest of the world is really important for the people who have their hands on the lever, and that's the Reserve Bank and that's the Australian government, the people you vote in. So they were really interested in what's going on with growth. They like to grow just above 3%. And the lever they use to slow growth down or speed growth up is interest rates. Growth has not changed or the outlook for growth has not changed since last week. Nothing's changed. But it's important if you remember why growth is important. Because basically everybody's got a self-interest and every race is a horse called self-interest. And you've got to be looking for what that horse is. And that horse is the Australian government and the bureaucrats wanting to make sure that they they get a good mark and that they're guiding our economy along the lines that they promise you. So I'd like to be above 3%. But again, nothing's happened in terms of growth. The next one is inflation. Why is inflation important? Because again, the Reserve Bank is absolutely focused on inflation. So nothing's happened to inflation either. We've had no Australian Bureau of Statistics um, outlooks or outcomes or data or feeds or anything about inflation. So inflation, you know, as I said last week, we want it between 2 and 3% or the government wants it between 2 and 3%. Who knows where it is at the moment? It's probably down towards lower, closer to 2%. Therefore, again, no interest rate increases. More likely, interest rate decreases. we will find out on the first Tuesday of May when they sit down and have a cup of tea in Lamingtons decide what they're going to do with uh, interest rates. Um, The next number, and and this is really relevant to everybody, is unemployment. Um, I explained last time why unemployment's important. Unemployment's another thing that the government and the Reserve Bank gets gets their marks on. Unemployment hasn't changed since the last read on unemployment. Uh, when, it, when, when there's something out there that I can tell you about, I'll give you an immediate update on it. But unemployment's still run around the same numbers, 6.2, 6.3. Again, that's relatively high relative to this time last year. Uh, the final one is the, the outlook, the economic outlook for Australia, which is usually the last paragraph of what the Reserve Bank talks about on every single occasion. I think I've read the Reserve Bank of every month, probably for the last 15 years. And uh, that's always the last paragraph, and the last paragraph is about the economic outlook and whether or not we our economy is sustainable. And uh, th- again, there's nothing to talk about there. The only thing I will say is there was some data, um, some data that was released this week, and we got the Westpac survey and we got the NAB business confidence survey. Um, those surveys are important because they sort of indicate to you uh, what's going on, in, uh, how people are feeling. Bear in mind, the survey can only be, is only around about 200 people. So I don't know if that's really a great representation of every single person in Australia. But it is a highly um, uh, well-received, uh, highly regarded survey. The NAB one in particular is run by Alan Ulster. Alan is an economist who is highly regarded. The Westpac one's run by Bill Evans, who's – Bill Evans is like a bit of an economics guru. and Everybody sort of tends to look at what he does. In fact, he can move markets in my view, what Bill says. So, the NAB survey basically said that confidence is down. So, which, by the way, doesn't surprise me. I mean, I guess if any one of you asked yourselves, did a survey one, you'd say, yeah, confidence is down because we read a whole lot of shit in the newspapers all the time. Um, but, you know, if confidence is down, that usually means people spend less, which usually means the economy doesn't travel at the rate everybody wants it to travel at. So, generally speaking, that means Reserve Bank keeps interest rates low. So, Overall, I would say there's more likely to be an interest rate reduction next month than um, than not, just based on a little bit of data that's floating around the place at the moment. By the way, you've probably been reading the papers, you probably read the papers every single day. I mean, I don't know how the hell they fill these newspapers up with uh, so much information, um, but nothing really important came out this week. Nothing. There was a lot of guff, a lot of argument, a lot of debate, a lot of talk about, uh, you know, whether or not Joe Hockey's stuffing up the economy, Costello's had a crack at him, um, but this is just... uh, It's just conversation, just talk. There's nothing in there of any substance that I can see in the last seven days that you should be bothered about. Let's look forward to see what's going to happen next week. Okay, that's segment one. Uh, Segment two, or as I was just uh, discussing, I like to call it act two. Act two, I think it's pretty cool. This is like, this is a bit like a play in it, like a, conversation with you guys, we're all – and by the way, that's it is a big game. We're all players. whole thing's a fiction. Everything we do is a fiction. We create stories in our own mind and we live those stories. All of us think that we are a particular person and we typecast ourselves into that position and we do that neurologically. That's sort of how how our neurons work. And we develop through electrical and chemical – Interactions over a period of time based on our DNA and based on our experiences and based on our social development, our own story. And each one of us lives that story out. And it's quite amazing how we do it, all of us. So, this is an act, an act two of our own story, or at least my story. From Mark's Mind. So, I was, uh, I, 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 was I had to do uh, a, a talk yesterday and I was driving back from Terrigal to Sydney. And I don't really get that much time to think about stuff. Um, And I didn't really feel like listening to the radio. If there'd been a good podcast, I would listen to that. Um, But I didn't feel like listening to radio. So I just thought, I'm just going to have a think whilst I'm driving along. And uh, it's like a good hour or so coming back from uh, Terrigal. And – I was up there talking to 350 people about a whole lot of stuff. People often want to know about, you know, my disruption, the way Yellow Brick Road's a disruptor or the TZ business is a, is a disruptor to certain parts of logistics or whether the wizard business, how it was a disruptor to the banks in the early late 90s, early 2000s. And I started to think about um, why did I actually set up Yellow Brick Road? What was sort of the thing that motivated me or sort of got me going? And that was in 2009. And so I'd like to share that with you today um, because I think it's a good story. Actually, I, I, and it's important for me to sometimes actually pause and think about why I did things. Uh, as most of us, we don't get much time to do that. Whilst it was a pain in the ass actually having to drive back from Terryville to Sydney and I've kept thinking I'm going to miss meetings, I'm going to be late, which I was. It was actually a valuable time for me to sit back and reflect a bit. So back in 2009, what was going on? My life. Well, up until uh, February 2009, I was the chairman of a global emerging mortgage markets business, and I was in partnership with General Electric. And I was the chairman of the business. Uh, James Packer was on the board. He and I owned 40% of it between us, and General Electric owned 60%. And the objective of this joint venture was to Take the old wizard business that I'd sold to GE in Australia around the world. GE had banks, et cetera, all around the world. And they had people placed all around the world in financial services. In fact, I think GE was the largest consumer finance company in the world, bigger than Citibank at the time. And GE had two board members. James and I had two board members and I was the chairman. Then I got sacked. That's right. I got fired in February two thousand and nine, mainly because the joint venture had to be collapsed because GE had a re-rating on its balance sheet. It no longer wanted to be in financial services, either you know, Australia, globally, or wherever. Um, and the Wizard business that I set up in Australia was sold, and the India, the the business in India, Wizard India, that was um, basically collapsed. And all our other aspirations, my other, my other aspirations at least, were uh, collapsed. And, um, you know, I didn't do anything wrong, but I was terminated. So I didn't know what to do. Uh, to be honest with you, like, um, it was quite traumatizing for me. And I don't mean I sort of went into the fetal position and lay down in my bed and couldn't get out of bed or anything like that. Um, not quite, but uh, I was uh, pretty unhappy. Because I'd never been confronted with this situation before where I, not only had I, didn't have my job anymore, but all my aspirations were just smashed. Because uh, I was planning on a whole lot of things. I was actually planning on leaving the country. I was planning on living in the UK um, so that I could actually commute to India and to Russia where where our next destination was to open up our business in Russia. And then I could travel to Australia and I could sort of use the UK as my base because it was closer to everything else. Anyway, um, I guess when you have all your plans been smashed, uh, that's what happens to you. You get sort of traumatised. And there's a good lesson in that, you know. The best laid plans are for mice and men, and that's in the front of John Steinbeck's book of mice and men. And it's, uh, it's something you've got to be careful of, that you don't put too much weight and momentum into what you think should happen. And sometimes you just got to go with the flow. So... I actually got some motivation, though, to establish a new business. I mean, my, my no one's going to employ me. I mean, like, too bloody old. Um, I've probably kicked too many people in the bum in my life to, for people to actually feel comfortable employing me. So I had no choice. I had to actually set up a new business. And I set up a financial services business because, to be frank, frankly, that's all I really know. Um, that's what I'm good at. Um, that's what I'm confident about. Um, and that's where I can make the biggest difference. And I did the usual thing, worked, and I did sit down and work out what sort of product the market needed, but really it was more bumbling along at the time and just had to do something and and get off my ass and do something and stop feeling sorry for myself. But I did have a motivation, and I have to thank John Simons for this. And John's a good bloke, so this is not a a bag, John Simons. I, I have a lot of respect for the guy. He's a genius marketer. Um, And, you know, what he did with Aussie Home Loans was fantastic. Um, So what happened was when uh, GE sold out their wizard business to Aussie Home Loans and CBA back in 2009 and therefore I was terminated and they collapsed all their other wizard businesses around the world in which I was a shareholder, um, GE um, didn't – require me to be restrained from um, competing against Aussie or G or anybody. In other words, the intellectual property that I had created by the business model of Wizard, which was becoming a global business, um, was in my head. It it came from me. I I developed it. And ordinarily – you would think to yourself, well, i we going to stop the bloke who created this from actually taking the same idea and redoing it again. And they didn't do that. Neither Aussie did it, nor did CBA, nor did GE. This is in March 2009. So they left the door open for me to actually recreate Wizard Part 2. called we'll call it what you like, Yellow Brick Road. And I was confused or more curious than anything else. So I went and saw John and I said to him, I said to him, you know, like, and by the way, I was on the bones of my ass at the time. And, and John was flying. He just bought the business that had been competing with him for 10 years. And he was feeling pretty good with himself. And good luck to him. And, you know, his timing was good. And he took advantage of the G's situation. I sat down in his massive big office. He had a very impressive big office and lots of artwork. And it was all pretty cool. And um, I said to him, mate, I don't understand why that happened. And John's response to me is, at that time, was basically, what can you do, Mark? I mean, you're in this is the middle of the GFC. How can you create a company like Wizard? In other words, my interpretation of that is, what the fuck can you do? I'm not scared of you. You're basically useless. Now, <laughs> that might have been my chip on the shoulder, Mark Boris taking a view on this stuff. You know, he may not have intended to be offensive, but I took it as offensive in a nice way because I know he's he's not that type of bloke, but I took it as offensive. And I used it as a motivation to do something. And I tell you what, it did motivate me. Because when someone tells me I can't do something, that's when I want to do it. And I think that's a an entrepreneur's mindset. You can't do something because you're not big enough or you're not rich enough or you're not smart enough or you're not privileged enough. We, the incumbents, what the hell can you do to us? How can you hurt us? Now, some people interpret that as the arrogance of the incumbent or the duopolist or the oligopolist or the monopolist. I don't know if they're arrogant, but because they're so big and they have so much momentum and such a big fortress around the thing that they're doing, they just assume that nobody can impact on them. Now, for someone like me, that's motivation. And I think a lot of entrepreneurs have that same motivation. And that, whether they do or they don't, it works. It works for me. And off the back of that, I have what you call, what I call a fuck you moment. You say that to me, fuck you. And I'll show you that I can do it. And that's really why I established Yellow Brick Road in 2009. I established Yellow Brick Road with nothing. I went and employed people from, ex-people from Wizard who did not get a gig when Aussie bought it. I went and employed long-standing, loyal employees that I knew. And I set up Yellow Brick Road, which is a bit cheeky um, because it sounds very much like Wizard. Uh, Set up Yellow Brick Road there and then. That was what motivated me. That was my need, my necessity because I needed a job. I didn't need a job for wages. I needed a job to have something to do. In my case, it's about having something to do, to have an undertaking, a reason to go to work every single day, something that excites me. And you need to get excited, and I'm still excited by it. So in 2011, Yellow Brick Road was listed on the stock exchange. Today, Yellow Brick Road's got a market cap of $200 million, starting from zero. We had, Yellow Brick Road in 2009 had no mortgages under management. We had no assets. Today, we got $30 billion. That's what everyone wants to always know. They always want to know this sort of stuff, but actually what no one ever asked me is how it all started, which is what I want to share with you today. We've got 250 branches around Australia. We've got uh, at least a 1,000 touch points around Australia. On a monthly basis, we're settling around $1.2 billion worth of mortgages. That's big flow in terms of our whole total market. So, it's it, yeah, it's done very well, and that's got nothing to do with what motivated me. That's got something to do with the business model as such. That's got something to do, by the way, with the economy of recovering because one thing that always happens is things recover. I just didn't know how long it was going to take. I didn't know how long it was going to recover. John's view, I think what he was sort of saying is, Mark, we are in the depths of a GFC. It may never recover. My view on it was it's going to recover. All I have to do is have the capacity to hang in there. So that's uh, what I was thinking about yesterday when I was driving my car. And, you know, it's funny. Sometimes you get shit that hassles you, and uh, you're having a bad day, or or you get completely concentrated on something that's bugging you, or something you can't fix. And it's a good time to take pause, and as I did yesterday, and think back to back to 2009, and nothing is as bad as it was in 2009. And I've never felt like I felt like in 2009 since. And all the things that are annoying me this week. Uh, paled into insignificance when I thought about what I, how I felt in 2009 and where I've come from since 2009 to today. Entrepreneurs Insight. But I don't know whether I'm an entrepreneur or not, but i just give you some insights. I mean, I'm always getting asked about how do you work smarter instead of harder, et cetera. Well, that's a really interesting question. Um, I don't know the answer to it. Uh, I think there is a a concept, or I have a concept. I don't think I know I have a concept of work ethic. and I want to explain what I mean by work ethic. I've only got a couple minutes of your time for this one, but I'll quickly cover through it. The ethic of hard work is irreplaceable. When it comes to running your own business or doing a startup or being successful in business, as far as I'm concerned, you can work smarter. But if you think working smarter means how do I end up putting my feet up on the back of a boat and still cover off all my work that I have to do because that's, you know, that's a smart way of operating, I just think that's a nonsense. I mean, yeah, sure, you can work smarter by using smart devices like mobile phones and doing your emails 24 hours a day and all that sort of stuff. Yeah, 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 that's cool. But I don't think there's some shortcut to running a business. And, um, you know, instead of doing 40 hours a week, doing 20 hours a week, I think actually instead of doing 40 hours a week, you'll do 60 hours a week, no matter what. So if you can cut down the amount of time you, you normally spend from 40 to 20 by using some, some other process, some technique, then what I'm asking you saying, saying to you are, as well as that, you should then add another 40 hours to, to make sure you hit your 60. And there is a reason for it, for me, working hard is something that I observed by, from my parents when I was a kid. Monkey see, monkey do. I saw my parents work hard, therefore I automatically thought you have to work hard. You know, I come from, my father was a, a migrant, uh, we lived in the west suburbs, um, definitely working class people. We had nothing, no choice, you had to work hard. So everyone in the family works hard. My brother works hard. My sister works hard. Or my cousins work hard. We all work hard because that's what we how we how our family got sort of set up. That's how we roll. We have to work hard. But like as time went on in my twenties, um, I then started to get motivated to work hard because I realised that the harder the work I work, the more money I get. I can achieve something in a material sense. So in my twenties and thirties, I was really driven by what. The outcome of hard work is the reward of a hard work. So the reward of hard work is I can get a Mercedes-Benz, which, you know, by the way, when I was growing up, I never saw a Mercedes-Benz. It was Fords and Holdens where I grew up, and I got exposed to Mercedes-Benz when I first started working in the city. Or I could get a holiday. I could get a better house. Or, so to some extent, hard work ethic was driven by immediate outcomes which were material-based, material, materialistically-based. And of course, the harder I worked, the better my business would go as well. So, I it morphed from being a family trait or a, a familial experience when I was a kid, into my teenagers, into my twenties, to in my thirties, being t- sort of driven by materialism. You know, some people might say it's greed. It wasn't really greed. I wasn't. I don't see myself as a greedy guy then. But I certainly wanted shit that I didn't have and that others had. So. I mean, I knew there's only one way to get there. I mean, I'm short of stealing it, um, that's the only way I was going to get there. And uh, but that sort of morphed again. I mean, maybe it's one of the great advantages of getting older. Um, you know, you sort of get a bit more gracious about things. And I've had opportunities to think about that concept of hard work. You know, I, I want to quickly explain it to you. I see hard work today not only as an ethic, but as a privilege. I actually enjoy the ability to be able to work hard because I've got mates who have had strokes or have died earlier than they should have through heart attacks and cancer, who, you know, quite frankly, during their sickness period would have done anything not to be stuck in bed, paralyzed, and would have done anything to be able to work for 60 hours a week would have done anything to be able to provide for their family and not put their family through the grief they're putting them through because their family had to rely on capital that they had, sell their houses because the old man was stuck in bed, either paralysed or under cancer treatment, etc. So all of a sudden, hard work gets elevated to be an honour. And if, you know, it's not about, you know, this concept, if I love what I do, I never work a hard, hard day in my life. There you go. There's my thing. I'm supposed to stop in five minutes. Um, it's, it's not about that. I don't believe that. I don't think that's crap. You know, if I love what I do, I never work a day hard day in my life. Well, What is that? I mean, I, th- I take the view is if you accept that hard work is an honour that's given to you, your capacity to work hard is an honour. Whether you think it comes from God or nature or wherever, it doesn't make any difference. It's an honour. If you elevated that position, you'll always work hard and you work hard happily. And if you work hard happily, you do well in your business. It's pretty simple. Drop the materialism. Drop doing it just because someone else showed you what to do, or you saw it as you grow up, and elevate it into that position it should be. Ask Mark. Tweet Mark with your questions at Mark Boris, M-A-R-K-B-O-U-R-A-S. Pleased to say I've been getting lots of questions on my Twitter handle and uh and, and back through my email. Uh, so I'm going to pick out a couple of them. Um, the one I want to talk the first one I'll talk about is this one, and this comes from John. I've been running my own news agency for 10 years. How do I know when it's a good time to sell? Uh, well, first thing do you need the money because that's always a good time to sell. Um, I think it's a good time to sell not because you' necessarily got everybody trying to buy it because you've got a news agency. they're a tough business. and to some extent news agencies are suffering. I think uh, it's a good time to sell uh, if you have another asset class that can give you a return equal or more than the asset class you're currently in in other words, if you sell the news agency and you get 100 grand, have you got something to put better to put that hundred thousand dollars in if that news agency that you have bought for a hundred thousand dollars is giving you ten thousand dollars a year return 10 percent if you sell it and you get a 100 grand can you get something better than 10 percent? And don't forget to factor into the fact that into that calculation that you're also working there. So you know what? Maybe sell the news agency, take the hundred grand, put it in the bank, earn five percent interest, go and get yourself a job. That might be a better outcome. Second question. My daughter's boyfriend wants me to be his guarantor on a small investment loan. Do you think it's too risky? Fucking oath. Are you serious? Your daughter's boyfriend? Why would you be guarantor on a small investment loan? For a start, it's a small investment loan. That, starts to, that sounds risky to me. You tell your daughter and the boyfriend to go and get themselves sorted. You stay out of it. I'd stay out of it. Hopefully, I didn't offend anyone there, particularly the boyfriend. But yeah, that's just too risky. I wouldn't do it. How can I show my boss this is the next last question? How can I show my boss I'm more able and talented than my colleagues? Hmm, that's a good question. That's called upward management. I hate upward management. Um, you want to upward mani- upwardly manage your boss, you better be a psychologist. And uh, your boss, you be really careful your boss doesn't understand what upward management is because if your boss is, could be upward managing his boss or her boss, so all of a sudden you're you you, you maybe you're may working at a bank because that's what everyone does in those environments. Everyone's upward managing each other. You know, listen, just go to work, work the hours that's required of you, do extra hours without whinging or complaining, do a bloody good job. If you're working 10 hours, make sure it's at least nine hours productive, at least nine hours with efficiency. And by the way, come up with some good ideas. You know, try and make, make some suggestions about change without hassling everybody. But for God's sake, don't upward manage your boss. Don't play games. I just got a clip on the air. Someone wants to know what upward management means. <laughs> I just assumed everyone knows. Uh, upward management means uh, basically buffing your boss. It means uh, you manage your boss instead of your boss managing you. You, you. you outsmart your boss. You know that the boss likes this, that, and the other one's a cup of tea, so you go and get him a cup of tea at 10 o'clock, and you're not really giving giving him or her any um, substance. It's all form. No, it's all show, no go. Looking forward, this is The Week Ahead. Okay, the week ahead, let's have a look at some of the big economic indicators coming up. Unemployment figures come out today. So that'll be the March figures for unemployment. That's a really important one. Um, as I told you the last time we spoke, uh, unemployment went from 6.4 to 6.3. Um, that's that's a big deal. Unemployment, we like to sort of keep unemployment as we can, if possible, around that 6% or even lower. Um you know, the best unemployment number I've ever seen is 4%, um, but, you know, we could actually get up much higher than this number, so it's a really important indicator of where the economy is going. My guess is it's going to be around about the same number. I wouldn't be fretting about it too much. I don't think you're going to get an unemployment number that's like 7% or something today, but it, it's the, the trick here is to know what the trend is. Where is unemployment trending for? So look out for that one today, and I'll talk about it when I talk to you next time. Next Tuesday, um, we'll see the minutes from the RBA's monthly meeting. Um, an insight as to why they left the cash rate at 2.25. This is just a, an expanded version of what they give us in their summary on the first Tuesday of every month. Um, that's a sort of a pretty important number, pr- a pretty important uh, piece of paper, pretty important document. They sort of open up a little bit and start talking about what's their thinking. Uh, but I don't think we're going to get any further insight into the economy other than what I've already talked to you about. Look, if you want to go and read it, go and read it. I'll read it and I'll talk to you about it th- that next week. But that's an important um, economic indicator coming out. And finally, on Wednesday, the Australian inflation number will be out. As I said to you before, unemployment is important for the Reserve Bank, growth is important for the Reserve Bank, and inflation is important for the Reserve Bank. Now, inf- the inflation number, they wanted it to be between 2 and 3%. Um, if it's down below 2% or around 2%, you can guarantee there won't be any interest rate changes. Well, definitely won't be going up. More likely, they'll be going down in the May meeting. My guess is um, inflation... Is going to come in. The headline is going to come in around about 2.1%. Anyway, we'll see you on April the 22nd, um, but that's a big indicator. This has been the Mark Boris Podcast. You can follow Mark on Twitter, at Mark Boris, and find out more at markboris.com.au. Okay, that's done. I had a great time today. Sorry I was a bit cranky when I first got here, but there was events that uh, I couldn't sort of manage. Uh, I'll be happier next week. See ya.